Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. Elsie said I have a lesson for you, but actually I have a gift for you. Ooh, that's bad. You want to know what it is? I can't tell you what it is. <laughs> but I promise you're going to like it. I promise it's really, really, really cool. And there's one for each of you in this box. I have something that each one of you gets to have. As soon as I open up the box, you can each get one of these. Do you have any idea what it might be? Cookies. Cookies? Cake? Hmm. I think it might be even better than cookies or cake. Brownies. Brownies. Hmm. I thought about brownies, honestly, but I told Miss Evelyn, some kids don't like chocolate. And some kids don't like nuts, and so I was thinking, well, brownies would be good, but then maybe some kids wouldn't like that. And I wanted to try and find something that everybody would like to get. So, I'll give it to you in a little while. <laughs> First, I have to read you a story out of the Bible, and then I need to talk to you for a little bit, but I promise, before you go back to be with your, your, in your lesson, you're going to get this gift. Okay, I promise you, you can trust that. You will get that gift as soon as I'm ready to give it to you. Okay? Alright. In the Bible, in the book of John, there's a story about Jesus talking to his friends. And Jesus looked at his friends and he said, I don't want you to be upset, and I don't want you to be worried. And I don't want you to have trouble inside your heart. I want you to believe God. Believe in God. And believe also me. I'm telling you something that you may not understand. But I want you to believe me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it wasn't so, I wouldn't tell you. And if it wasn't so... Wouldn't I tell, I mean, I would tell you that I'm going to go to a, prepare a place for you, and that's exactly what I'm telling you. Jesus said to his friends, I'm getting ready to leave you. But I'm going to be with the Father to get ready the place so that you guys can come and join us. And Jesus said, and if I go to that place to help prepare it with my Father, I will come again, and I will take, take you to myself so that where I am, you can be also. And you know the place that I'm going. And one of his disciples, whose name was Thomas, said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way. The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He said, Jesus said to his friends, if you had known me, you would have known the Father also. And so Jesus' words to his disciples were this. I'm leaving. I'm going to go to the Father. But I promise you, there's going to come a time when I will come back. And I will come and get you. And I will take you with me to be with the Father. We're getting ready to this really cool place. It's going to be so wonderful. You're going to be so excited when you see it. But it's not ready yet. So you just have to trust me and believe that it's going to happen. And someday, it will. 
That's what we have. That's what Jesus asked his friends, and that's what he asks us to believe that he's telling them the truth, and that it's going to be really cool when you get to go be with God and That's what Jesus asks of us, and that's exactly what I just asked of you a few minutes ago. Because I told you that I did something that I thought was really, really cool. Oh, Marie's all excited. She's got her hands together. She's like, yes. So obviously, somebody thinks there's something good in here. Why do you think there's something good in here? Because brownies? No. But why, what, what, do you think I would lie to you? Would I ever lie to you? No. You don't think so? So if you know that I would never lie to you, then you know if I tell you something good is in here, that that means something good is in here. Same with Jesus. Jesus would never lie to you. If he tells you something good is coming, something good is coming. So let me show you what this really, I think you're going to like it. It's pretty cool, I think. Because what it means is you can get whatever you want. You don't have to get what I think you would want because every single one of you gets a dollar. Now you can go to the store and get whatever you want. So is this a pretty cool gift? Yeah. Yeah. All right. What dollars? You have $87? That means you don't need that one. <laughs> but really and truly, you can believe Jesus when He tells you that He's going to prepare a place for you and He's got to have a really cool thing for you. You can believe it. It may take a while, but you can believe it. All right, let me pray with you guys, and then you're going to go back to your class, okay? Jesus bless these kids and help them to come to understand, even through this little simple exercise. That your word is true. Yeah. And that you indeed will come and get us, Father, someday. Yeah. We may not understand why sin is so hard. We may not like that you wait. But we know that we can trust you. In Jesus' name. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Okay, you guys can go back and sit down with your... I mean, you can go back to your room. And they have your class ready for you. And for those adults who helped me with the dollar bills... I always carry cash. Always. I reached to my wallet this morning. I had two $1 bills. I was like, oh, my word. <laughs> so I started making phone calls. And thankfully, some of our adults had dollar bills. So I'll get you your dollars back at the end of the service. So. <laughs> well, I was going to do brownies, honestly. But there's brownies out on the front table. Okay? That's what they're there for. But I realized the kids, some of them may not like them. So... Um, I have to give and be real honest with you. Full disclosure. Full disclosure. I'm recycling a sermon. And the reason I'm doing that is because I have prayed and prayed and prayed and said, Lord, what do you want me to give to your people today? And every single time when I do that, I recognize God's voice. And he clearly said to me this. And I went, that's not an old sermon, God. They've heard it before. It's only been less than three years since they heard it before. He said this. I was like, okay. So I have been in prayer since that time. I've been reviewing it and praying over it. I don't know why. I mean, I honestly don't know why I have to preach this. I just know that I do. It may not even be for any of you. It may be that it's being recorded and someone who's going to listen to the recording is going to hear it and God's going to speak to them. I don't know. So pray for me, please.
Because one of the things that's so interesting when God does this, when you go to Bible college or seminary, they teach you how to prepare sermons. That's one of the things they do. And when you're in Bible college or seminary, you have to write out your sermon in a manuscript form. And you have to hand it to the professor when you get ready to preach because they're going to follow your manuscript to make sure that you say everything that you intended to say. Well, that was Bible college. I don't write out a manuscript every single week. I have sentence outlines. Sometimes I have just simple word outlines. Sometimes I use the PowerPoint slides as my outline. But this sermon was completely written out in manuscript form two and a half years ago. And so when God was directing me, and I literally, I was like, there was a topic that he said to preach about. And then he said, go back to your old sermons. And I'm like, go back to my old sermons. He said, yeah, go back to your old sermons. And I went to my old sermons and a lot of them just simply in the file, simply say sermon and the date, sermon and the date, sermon and the date. This one said sermon, date, topic. And I went, okay. So I opened it up and I started reading it. And the Lord said, this is the one. I was like, okay. (laughs) It's not one that I want to preach. It's one that I know that I'm supposed to preach. So. Thank you for being obedient. I am. And then you're welcome, but it's God. I have no choice. <sighs> well, back when I wrote this sermon, I had started watching a television show that I had never, ever seen before. I'd heard of it, but I'd never seen it before. And I got hooked almost immediately. I love murder mysteries. I love cop shows where the, you have to figure out the who done it. I love I like reading murder mysteries, I like listening to audiobooks, I like watching movies and television shows. I mean, I I'm I'm a I'm a man a one song man when it comes to that because literally I watch Vera and I watch NCIS and I watch NCIS Hawaii and I watch um uh, uh uh Father Gilbert mysteries and I watch the one that I just watched just recently called Sister Boniface don't watch it's boring it's really bad but anyway <laughs> it's a brand new show it's a spin off of Father Father Brown and it anyway but this one this is a show that I'd heard a lot about but I never ever watched and two and a half years ago, I started watching it and I, I watched it through maybe one season, one and a half season. So I can't say it's fabulous, glorious. I didn't watch it all the way through its full run of its life. But this particular show that I watched gripped me in such a way that it caused me to write this sermon. And the show is The Closer. And I don't know if you've ever seen that show or heard of it, but it's about a character whose name is Brenda Lee Johnson. She is a, a, a woman from the South. And she gets stationed in Los Angeles as a deputy chief. And she, her job is to lead a team of people to uh, solve murder mysteries, solve murder crimes. And so this scene that I, this season, this show that I watched was from season one, episode five. And the title of it is called You Are Here. Now, that, that terminology, you are here, is, intent, is a, a very intentional naming of this episode. And the reason for that is because this episode is all about a a judge who is murdered. And the judge is found in in, in, like two or three in the morning out in a a, a city park. He's been shot a couple of times and he's dead. And then the police come to find him and then they're trying to figure out what happened. And so they go to his house to see if they can figure anything out. They they can't find his car anywhere. Um, His house doesn't look like he's been broken into. But what's weird about the house is... All of the furniture is bolted to the floor. 
Literally. Every chair, every table bolted to the floor. You can't move anything. It's really weird. Well, then all of a sudden there's a phone call on the victim's phone. And the deputy chief, Brenda, answers the phone and it's the woman who used to be married to the judge who's looking for her autistic 16-year-old son. Where's my son? What do you mean, where's your son? He lives with his father. He's not answering the phone. Where's my son? He has a very meticulous routine. He has to have the same routine every day. Nothing can be moved in his life or he goes crazy. Where is my son? And then all of a sudden they realize they've got a missing autistic kid and they've got to find him. Is he a victim? Is he the perpetrator of the crime? What's going on? Well, as the story goes on, they end up finding the car, abandoned in an airport parking garage, and they open up the car and they find the boy in the trunk of the car alive, but he's very distressed, needless to say. And his words are constantly, where am I? 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 Because he is always oriented to his location. He needs to always know where he is. He does GPS coordinates as his own way of making himself through the, through the, through the, through the world. So anytime you're asking him questions, he has to be oriented in that way. Where am I right now? Where am I going? Where, when, you know, not when, but where? Well, this, at one point in the show, he's with the, the chief inspector because she can't release him to his mom because he's a witness to the crime potentially. And she's got to figure out what's going on or possibly even the perpetrator of the crime. So she's trying to talk with him and all of a sudden the kid gets very agitated. He's like, I'm going to be late. I'm going to be late. I got to go to my piano lesson. I'm going to be late. Where's my dad? Where's my dad? And she said, called him my name and she said, you remember your mom told you your dad is dead. Yes, my dad's dead. The man shot my dad. He's dead. Okay, so you understand your dad can't come and get you. Where's my dad? I told you your dad's dead. Just like your grandma, your dad's dead. You can no, no longer go to see your dad anymore. He can no longer come to see you. Do you understand that? Yes, my dad's dead. Where's dead? And she just stopped. Because she didn't have an answer for him. And at that point in my watching the movie or television show, I stopped. I literally, it just stopped me in my tracks. And my thoughts began to race. If I were in her shoes and I was trying to help this special needs autistic young man whose total world is oriented against location, how could I answer to him in a way he could understand where is dead? What would I even start? I mean, the Bible commands us. It's been on the screen in front of you all morning long. Always be ready at all times to answer anyone who asks you to explain the hope that you have. What would your answer be to this child? Where is death? Well, before I could answer where is death, I would have to say what is death? Can you bring that slide up? All I'm doing with my slides this morning are just giving you the scripture references. So anybody that wants to take their pictures, they can for future reference. But what is death? Well, first of all, the scriptures very clearly tell us death is a direct result 
of sin, volitional sin. If you look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, talking about the, the time in the garden and the creation, Adam and Eve are given very specific instructions. You can, you can govern this whole place. You can rule everything. You can name all the animals. You can eat from anything except that one tree. And that one tree, and Jesus, God literally said, on the day you eat from that tree, you will certainly die. Those were God's words, Genesis 2, chapter 17. What is that? Adam and Eve had no idea what that was. There was never death prior to that moment. So what did that mean when God said, you will certainly die? They didn't have a point of reference. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Paul said, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in the same, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. So we understand through our theology that death is a result of sin. It's a result of the spirit, I mean, of the, of the, the, uh, uh, of the, the fall. But there are two different forms of death, if you will. There is physical death, okay? And all bodies decay and die. You don't have to question that. You look in the mirror every morning, you see another gray hair, you see another wrinkle. You brush your hair and, uh, I mean, and not brush your hair, but, and, and, but, but, but literally you, you see evidence uh, on, the, on the, the carpet or you see evidence on the table of dust. Well, guess what the dust is? That's your skin sloughing off. Sorry. I know that's gross, but that's reality. Okay? So the dust in your home is, is your dead cells. That's death. That's what it is about physical death. And it's in the Bible. It says, Genesis 3.19 says, For dust you are, to dust you return. But it's not just physical death. Death is also spiritual. Because... What God was referring to when he said, you will certainly die, was not just a physical cessation of their body, but that they would no longer have the day-to-day access of God that they normally did. Because if you remember in that story in Genesis, God would come and visit Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, in the late afternoon, early evening, and would walk in the garden with them and fellowship with them. And once they sinned, they were cast out of that garden and no longer had the day-to-day access to God that they were used to. So so death is physical death, but it is also spiritual death, a separation from God. Now, is death the next question? Is death the end of our existence? If somebody if you were trying to explain to somebody who didn't have a concept of it, what is death? Where is dead? Is that the end of you being? Because if I kill a flower by cutting it up or burning it, you can't bring it back. And I know that there are some who have theology that say dogs and cats go to heaven, animals go to heaven. I'm not going to go there with you this morning because I I don't want to go there. But the reality is that, that animals die and you can't get them back. We have no promise in the word of God that they come to ha- come back to us through resurrection. So any animal that I've ever had, I have no hope of ever seeing again. Not that I never will, because I'm not going to go there with you this morning. But, the, but in my mind, I don't have access to them anymore. I can't get to them. But the reality is, we know from what we're taught in scriptures and from culture, 
that human beings don't cease after our bodies cease. In ancient, the ancient Near East, death was seen as a transition more than a termination. If you look at ancient Egypt, for example, if you go and study the, the burial practices of ancient Egypt with the pharaohs, they literally buried their pharaohs with everyday items that were from their home. Why? Because in their mind, they were going to continue living just on the other side. So they needed the things that they were familiar with near them. And even... Um, even in Hebrew, ancient Hebrew culture, if you look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 19 to 21, it says, surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. Now this is, this is Solomon talking. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust and all go to dust. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward? And if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth, we just don't know. That's what Solomon wrote in the scriptures. So what we see is that even ancient Israel, where Jesus's whole theology comes from, didn't have a clear understanding, but they did know that the spirit continued. <clears throat> they just didn't know what it did, what happened to it. Jewish teachers, even during Jesus's time, were divided when it comes to death. If you look in the book of Daniel, chapter 12, verse 2, you see multitudes, he say, he wrote, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. This is Daniel, the prophet from Old Testament times. But then you come into the time of the New Testament in Acts chapter 23, verse 8. It says that there were two major sects, if you will, of leaders in the church in, in the Hebrew uh, culture. One were the Sadducees, one were the Pharisees. The Sadducees did not believe in resurrection. They didn't believe that there were angels. They didn't believe that there were spirits. But the Pharisees did. So even in the, the, the leadership of the Jewish community at the time of Jesus, there was a division and they were looking at the same scriptures. So even to this day, there is dichotomy. Do we continue on? Is it or, or are we just gone and dead? And we don't know because we can't get there and then come back. There's no human being other than one. Two. Well, maybe a couple, three, but we won't go there either. <laughs> All of the rest of them died a second time, okay? All right. But we talked about what is death. We talked about what is, the, what is death the end of our existence. The next question when thinking about how you're going to respond is what is a Christian thought about death? What do we teach about death? And there's tons of scriptures. And unfortunately, we don't have time to literally read every single passage and then talk about it. But I'll give you just the gist of this. The first one, Luke chapter 16. This is the story that Jesus told about the rich man and Lazarus. It's a very familiar story. The rich man has everything. Lazarus is poor and, 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 and sickly and literally has the dogs licking the wounds that he has on his body. And they both die on the same day. And it says in Jesus' teaching that, the, that Lazarus was carried to the quote-unquote the bosom of Abraham. And, Jesus, and, and the rich man went to the dark place, to Hades, to Sheol. Now, um, it, Jesus described it as a place of torment. And in that discussion of this place of the dead... There's the bosom of Abraham 
and there's this dark place, Hades, Sheol, hell, however you want to describe it. And in this story, Jesus himself quotes Abraham as saying, there is a chasm between these two spaces so that we can't cross back and forth between the two spaces. So even if we wanted to come and try to relieve you in your suffering by dipping our finger in cool water and giving it to you, we can't because this chasm has been fashioned. We can't get across it. So what we're hearing from Jesus' own teaching is that there's a place where people go after physical death. And there seems to be two places, depending on how you lived up here. Luke chapter 23, verse 43 says, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, do you remember that story? The thief on the cross says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looked at him from the cross and said, today you will be with me. Where? In paradise. In the bosom of Abraham. In the place that is reserved for the dead who are righteous. See, this is not the house that Jesus is preparing with his father with the many mansions. This is a place where people go after death. And I want, it's not purgatory, don't hear me saying that, but this is a place where the dead go. But apparently God is present there. Because Jesus himself said, today you'll be with me in paradise. John 11, this is the resurrection of Lazarus. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. He died. He was in the tomb four days. He, Jesus finally arrives. His sisters say, don't have them open up the tomb. He stinks by now. Why does he stink? Because his body decays. Death. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? What in the world was he saying? If you believe in me, you'll never die. He's dead and he believed in you. No, no, no see, you're confusing. Physical death, sure he's going to die. Spiritual death, no. He will not be separated from the Father, even though he physically dies. If you're in right relationship with me, if you believe in me, you will die physically, but spiritually you're not going to be separated from God. You will go to the place that we call paradise, the bosom of Abraham, the place where you will be with God until the time comes when all are resurrected, which we'll see that later on in Revelation where there's a second raising of all people, all flesh, and then there's a judgment. We get, we don't go, we're not going there this morning. We're talking about just about death. What is death? Where is death? Then if you look at Paul and the way that he talked about death, Philippians chapter one, Paul says, for me to live is Christ, but if I die, I gain. He also said in first Corinthians 15, if only for this life do we have hope in Christ, we're of all people to be pitied. There is a hope that is after death. There is something after death. There is life after death. So let's summarize what we've learned. Every human being is under a curse. That curse is physical death. It is a result of volitional sin. Both Adam and Eve's sin, the fall of all humanity, and your own volitional sin. 
All have sinned and fallen short of glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. At physical death, your body ceases to function, but your soul does not cease to function. At the time of death, your soul, for lack of any other way to say it, walks through a door to a new place, passes through a curtain or a veil to a new place. It doesn't cease. It's just no longer housed in the physical body. There is a separation of souls in that other place. And there's a chasm fixed between those two separate spaces. One space is for the righteous, those who are in right relationship with God, and one is for the unrighteous, those who are in rebellion against God. Daniel himself said in chapter 12, verse 2, we already looked at it, but looking at it again, there is going to come a time when all who sleep in the dust will come back awake Some will be sent to eternal life and some will be sent to eternal shame and contempt. That's Daniel speaking. Jesus speaking, rich men and Lazarus, the two places of good and bad. The Matthew, if you look at Matthew chapter 25, Jesus talks about the sheep and the goats, if you will. How you lived on this earth will determine whether you go to be with the father, whether you go to a place of damnation. And then finally, Excuse me. Author of Hebrews. We don't know who the Hebrews author is, but Hebrews chapter nine says everyone is judged based on what they did during their physical life before their die. It literally says man is appointed once to die and then comes the judgment. Well, what are they judging? They're judging what you did before your death. So to wrap it all up. Every single one of you is dying. Every single one of you is dying. And when I wrote this sermon, I had come across an illustration. The only thing I didn't put in my sermon notes here was the source of that illustration. So unfortunately, I can't cite it for you now. All I know is that from listening to my recording last time, it said I had, it came out of a, a, a theological journal that I had access to. But this illustration, it's pretty gross. I don't like it, but it is. It, ma- it makes the point for what we want to talk about here. There's a person who jumps out of an airplane without a parachute. In that moment, they are dead. Think about it. The moment they get out of the plane and begin their descent to the earth without a parachute, they are dead. Yes, they're still breathing. Yes. They're still able to enjoy the exhilaration that they feel as they fall freely through the air. But there is a certainty that within 3, 5, 15, maybe 30 seconds, splat, and they will be dead. Now, of course, Nathan and I had a conversation this morning before the service about how some people have been known to survive, but that's not the norm. Nothing that person does from the moment they step out of the plane without a parachute can be cha- can be done to change the inevitable outcome. And I say to you, the moment you came out of the womb, you stepped out of the plane without a parachute. 
Once you came onto this earth and God joined your spirit or your soul to your physical body, you were locked in for the process known as death and resurrection. Nothing you can do to change it. The only change that you can do is where you end up after death. Because that's the only thing you have control over. You're going to die. Unless Jesus comes back before you die. That's possible. But 2,000 years have already passed. So the reality is, it's more likely that you're going to die and go to that place of righteousness or place of unrighteousness and then eventually face a judgment. And the judgment will be based on what you did on this earth. The righteous will be rewarded for the good things that they did that brought glory to God. And the unrighteous will simply be told, get away from me, I never knew you. Depart from me. Eternal separation from God. Spiritual death. So if somebody comes to you and says to you, where is dead? Hopefully now you have a little bit of information that you can share. If I was in that situation, not as the police chief, but as a pastor trying to console this young man who struggles with autism and doesn't fully understand, what would I say to this autistic young guy who asked me where is dead? I would tell him that when a person dies, it's like they walked through a door into another room. And it's a place that our physical bodies can't go to. Even though it's a real place. We can't go there without getting rid of our physical bodies. I would tell this young man that just because we can't see the person who died, who has walked into that other room, that doesn't mean that they're not there. It doesn't mean that they don't exist. They still do exist. It's just that their soul is no longer contained in their body. Their soul has now entered into the presence of God. If he asked me where that was, I would have to truthfully tell him that part of the question is unanswerable on this side of the door. Where that place is, what that place is, what it's like. It's like the box that I held before the children. It's a promise. But we can't know it. It's a mystery to us on this side of the door. But we can have confidence that there is a place that we're going to go that we don't just cease to exist. And how can we have that confidence? Because of the one who made the promise. Jesus is the source of our glorious hope. Jesus has made it possible for us to enjoy all of eternity with God through his sacrificial death on the cross his resurrection from the dead. And because of Jesus, we no longer have to be spiritually dead. Yes, yes. In almost every case, our bodies are going to die. Eventually. But we no longer have to fear being dead spiritually, being separated from God. That part of death is no longer ours to fear. The last scripture I want to leave you with this morning is this. First Corinthians chapter 15 Verses 54 through 58. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? 
Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray. God, I don't know why you had me preach this. I just know that you wanted it preached. And I pray, Father, that your word would not return void, but that it would indeed bring about that which you want. So, Father, bring life through this. Help someone who hears these words to be encouraged and to know that there is nothing to fear as long as they put their hope in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.